Open your Bible to John chapter 20, the gospel written by the Apostle John, who was there at the cross that day, who was there at the tomb. Uh, and let's read chapter 20 together. Now, we're going we're to read almost the whole chapter during this sermon, so you're going to actually want to have the text in front of you. So grab your old school Bible or your Bible app and get it on to John 20, or if you're watching in the chat room at live.cornerstone. Uh, web.org, there's a Bible, I think, there, right, on your screen that you can grab. John chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, and I will say as you're turning, it's great to have you in my home. I should have invited you over sooner. You guys are awesome house guests. And uh, so here we go. Ready? Verse 1. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. All right, so Mary's from Magdala. She's from the fishing village on the uh, Galilee Lake. But when she met Christ, she was in dire straits. She was a tortured soul. Uh, that day, Jesus of Nazareth commanded seven demons to stop tormenting her. And I think that she never let Jesus out of her sight after that. Uh, this is a couple years later. She had become one of the key leaders uh, in the early church and a big supporter of Christ. The women were the ones who really set things up so the disciples had a place to sleep, something to eat, uh, some money in the bag, and Mary was very much a leader or the leader of that team. And uh, she did it out of love for Jesus. Uh, Jesus was everything to her. He was her deliverer. He was her teacher. He was her friend. And uh, she just simply could not survive without him. So on Friday... Mary had thought she had lost him. And on Sunday, she discovers that she hadn't lost Jesus. Let's read about it. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. You know, things were happening so fast, but she knew it was real. She knew she wasn't imagining this. Somehow Jesus was alive again, which is crazy because she was there at the cross. She heard his final words. She saw his body go limp as as life went from it. But now here he was and very much alive. Now later, she would understand how his death was as wonderful as his resurrection. But that was later. Uh, There was nothing about that gruesome Friday afternoon death that felt wonderful to Mary yet. Uh, What was wonderful was Sunday morning because she was seeing him again. Uh, She had thought she would never see him again, but she was wrong. That morning she woke up thinking that Passover would never again be the same. She was right but not in the way that she thought. Jesus had now fulfilled Passover. Jesus had made this Passover the best one yet. That was the first Easter. So can I um, take a minute to call out something that I was feeling, that you may be feeling? You may be feeling that Easter has been ruined this year. I imagine that's what the first Christians felt about Passover that year. But take a step back and think, was that the worst Passover or the best one? Is this the worst Easter we've ever had? Or could it somehow be the best? I wonder if we will look back on this Easter as the best we ever experienced. I guarantee you this, you'll never forget this Easter. Hmm. Let me tell you why, in some ways, this Easter is the best I have ever experienced. It's because this year we finally get in touch with God's first chosen people and how they actually felt that night in Egypt. It's this year we get in touch with the first Christians and how they, they, they felt. This year in our homes, we are feeling like they were feeling in theirs. Confused, sad, vulnerable, dark. At that first Passover in Egypt, God protected and preserved his chosen people as they sheltered safely at home with lamb's blood painted on their doorposts. It wasn't safe to go outside because God was laying down a heavy judgment on Pharaoh and actually on all of Egypt for failing to recognize the humanity of the nation of Israel. The death angel was passing over Egypt that, and, and, and only sparing the lives of the firstborn sons in Hebrew homes where lamb's blood was painted on their house. Fast forward 1,500 years to the first Easter in Jerusalem. The Christ followers are now sheltered at home, but also protected by lamb's blood. Now, they didn't realize it yet, but the blood of the perfect lamb of God that had been slain for our salvation was still painted on the wood of that Roman cross. It had taken away their sins forever. 
This is all the things they would write about later. At this moment in time, all they could think about is it's Sunday morning and somehow Jesus is alive. And so that makes the first Easter the best Easter yet. Even though it started in the depths of confusion and grief and loneliness and anguish, it ended up in victory. All right, let's keep reading because the story goes on. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What a powerful experience. But still, it wasn't in public. That first Easter was not celebrated in public. Like the first Passover, it was celebrated behind locked doors in homes. And all God's people were sheltered in place. Now, for us, I imagine by next year, we'll all be together again in full auditoriums after fighting for parking places. We'll all have some cool clothes on and we'll be celebrating and listening to the worship team take it to the next level. But listen, gang, don't miss this year looking forward to next year because this year is special. This year we are learning, some of us for the very first time, that we don't even have to leave our homes to attend church. We don't have to get new clothes. We don't even have to get in the car. Shoot, we don't even have to change out of our sweats. Women, how much easier was attending church this morning than it was a year ago? No makeup, no uncomfortable shoes, no kids fighting in the car. You don't have to do your hair. We're all learning that you don't have to come to a building to be the church. We're learning that a locked door can't keep Jesus out. So friends, this is my challenge for you. Jesus has already entered your home. Look for him there. Stop to sense his presence. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Receive Christ into your home right now. Uh, take a moment to recognize his presence. Take a moment to identify what you are feeling right now as I speak. The presence of Christ in your home. How many of you are feeling the presence of Christ right now? I feel him here. I feel him with me now in a powerful way. I fasted for you on Friday. I asked the Lord that by Easter, you would break through and celebrate all that we have. You know, we're sheltered in place to save ourselves physically, but because of what Christ did, we are saved way beyond what this earth could ever do to us. We'll be buried for a short time. At some point, we will all die. But that will not be the end of our life. Because Christ is risen. If you're sheltered in place with someone else, turn to them right now and say, Christ is risen. Well, I mentioned how a locked door cannot keep Christ out. 
And maybe your issue had not, has not been a locked door, but a locked heart. Maybe something happened to you in the past where you locked Jesus out intentionally. Could it be that what has happened to you this last month has been softening your spirit to give Christ another chance to open the door of your heart and let him in? I've been praying for you. All right, well, we've been studying Philippians for a couple of months. Today's our last time in the book of Philippians. So let's turn there now. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians 2, and if you're new to studying scripture, uh, it's about this much Bible between John and Philippians, and just keep turning to the right until you find it, and we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Chapter 2, 5 through 11. Here's what Paul wrote. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the word of the Lord. Hmm. Well, we saved the best for last. Uh, this passage in Philippians is known as the Song of Christ. Uh, scholars are divided on this, whether the Apostle Paul wrote this song or whether he took a song that had been circulating in the church, grabbed it, and like a diamond, put it on the ring and gave it to the church. Uh, but one thing's for certain, it's a song, it's a poem, it's a hymn. Now, when we read it in English, we don't catch that. But when you read it in Greek, there's a meter to it, and uh, not, uh, Greek songs didn't rhyme but they had a meter, and you'll see that in this song, in the, in, the, in the original Greek. And it's a song that celebrates the Lord Jesus Christ, everything about him, his preexistence, the Son of God coming uh, to be human, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, packed into the stanzas of a first-century Christian hymn. The song opens describing Christ's mindset, or his his attitude. Paul encourages the reader before the song starts in verse 5 to sing it with the thought that Christ's mindset was going to permeate our mindset. His attitude was going to replace any lesser attitude that we fight with uh, in our own emotional state. Uh, and, and so let's review. What was Christ's mindset as he came to earth? Well, it was one of valuing us, even over himself emptying himself of privilege and position. He came. Later, Paul will write to the believers in Corinth that though Christ was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. That is powerful. The juxtaposition 
of Christ's spiritual wealth, of him being over all things and, 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 and in control of all things, and then him making himself nothing so that we could, could have all of that that he has. And if anyone uh, who has ever walked planet Earth had the right to privilege and power, it was Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the only son of the only God has the right to view himself as better than us, to expect us to, to fall down in his presence in worship. But that was not Christ's attitude as he came. Verse 7 says, he made himself nothing. Some of your Bibles say it like this, he emptied himself. Wow, uh, he emptied himself, rejecting any notion that would have kept him safe in heaven, joining himself to us so that we would never have to stand before God without hope. In doing this, Christ not only acted in a God-like way, but he also set a standard for how human beings should relate to one another. We should empty ourselves like he did letting go of possession and privilege, giving up on all that we deserve and, 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 and replacing it with the ability to provide someone something that they desperately need, something we already have. This is how his followers prove we really are following him. Paul is speaking to all of us today saying, let Jesus' mindset be your mindset. Let his attitude be your attitude, his thoughts your thoughts. Let those thoughts then drive your actions. Wow. The truth about what drove Jesus to give up even life itself is the truth that transforms us to give up life itself. Changing our motivations from selfish to selfless, changing our behaviors, we become all about others. We go from an attitude of self-preservation to something much greater, something nobler, something divine. Christ's way of thinking has the possibility of redeeming our way of thinking. And that is how we know we have moved from death to life, from sin to salvation, by how we act. See, he's saving us not only for heaven, he's using us to save the earth. Wow. What a powerful commission that he could make us truly human, the human beings that he originally intended the earth to be populated with, that sin has so wrecked us and divided us. We can become the unifying force. So I just have to stop because I've been thinking about you guys. I've been hearing stories. Uh, so many of you, when you could have just hunkered down and stayed safe, have been out there serving others. And it's an amazing thing. I appreciate that you've put your masks and your gloves on and you've got your Purell right there, but you're out there serving because you know what? You're not afraid. You haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power of self-control and of a sound mind. You've been given the spirit of servanthood. Uh, in Livermore, I saw you distributing boxes. Uh, you packed those boxes. I, there were so many boxes being packed that, the other day of perishables and non-perishables for people who literally, they don't have a job anymore. Uh, some of them don't have a place to live. And uh, I've seen you out there. Uh, I was actually uh, out in Livermore. Uh, I, I think I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was out getting something, I don't know. But uh, this old pickup truck pulled up beside me and these two gals, I didn't know them. 
Uh, but they were having a blast in that truck. And they were pointing at me and pointing in the back of the truck. And I rolled my window down and I saw they were from Cornerstone and their truck was full of those boxes that they were distributing to people who really desperately needed them. They were having such a great time. You know, that's so cool. But it wasn't just in Livermore. In, in, in Brentwood, I heard how you bought and sold dozens and dozens of bagels and donuts and then sold them to each other just so that we could keep our favorite uh, bakeries uh, alive out there uh, here in Brentwood. Uh, in Hayward, you delivered care packages to the Willow Rock uh, Adolescent Mental Health Facility. It's on lockdown, uh, and the, the, the staff is right there with the young people, and they're working together uh, for the mental health of those young people. And along with the care packages for the kids, I noticed, I heard that you you packaged up some stuff for the staff as well, including letters that said, hang in there, you're doing Christ's work. We heard back that it was the best gift they'd ever received. Uh, in Danville, you went out and you've, you've been feeding under-resourced students who had been depending on the school district feeding them, and that's all stopped now. These kids are hungry. And you went out with meals, and you fed those kids in the name of Jesus. Uh, in Walnut Creek, I heard about how you sewed handmade face masks and then distributed them in the hospital. And uh, what a cool thing to do as you, you, you honored uh, and protected uh, those of us that are, are going to the hospitals. Uh, all month, Cornerstone Health Professionals have been going to work and uh, working double shifts and literally risking their lives when they could have stayed home. But Christ compelled you to go because the medical profession is not your job. It's your mission. And uh, it's been so cool to see you on mission uh, this month. Uh, and then those of you that, who could, that donated extra money to make up for the shortfall that was immediately created when we stopped gathering uh, in buildings. Uh, so here's the deal. When Christ says, uh, or when Paul says, let Christ's mindset permeate your behavior, I want to say, hey, Paul, Check out Cornerstone. I'm pretty sure that a lot of these people uh, get it. The mindset of Christ has transformed it to the point that uh, uh, serving others is just their natural response. Where the rest of the world is hoarding and huddled in fear, you are sharing and serving selflessly, bravely. So proud of you. Keep it up. Your hands and feet are the hands and feet of Jesus. Your Doing these things is our gospel. Like Jesus emptied himself of privilege and selfishness, uh, or anything that, that would have served him, nah, and you're doing the same. Like Jesus made himself into a servant, you're a servant. So let's all do that. Let's all imitate those at Cornerstone who already get this, and let's all do the same thing this week. What would happen in our zip codes if the 15,000 of us that are watching and participating and attending this weekend would serve our neighbors in need. 15,000 servants in all of our neighborhoods representing Christ. So I want to enlist you now uh, to be Cornerstone Ambassadors uh, in every community. Could you get in touch with the leaders uh, at the campus that's closest to your home and they will give you opportunities to serve you or you can just hit this link and someone will respond to you. And what about in our homes? Don't forget, we need to be serving in our homes. I, I, I just want to ask you, have your, has your family gotten on your nerves at all this last month? Uh, if you're human, then yes. 
The answer would be yes. But also, don't you just love them so much? You know, think of how different our families would be if all of us would just st step back and take a breath and say, you know what I'm going to do with my family today? I'm going to serve them. What happened to our marriages if all of us comp uh, competed to outserve each other? And men, because I'm a man, I'm talking to you. Our wives usually do serve us all the time. What would it be like if we would say, uh, I'm not going to demand respect around this house all this week. Um, I'm just going to serve. I'm going to humble myself like Jesus and serve. You know, I was reading Brene Brown this week, and her research uh, found that when people humble themselves, people in authority humble themselves and make themselves vulnerable and serve, it causes people to want to follow them and want to be part of their team. Uh, that's what leads to being loved and respected. And let's think about our businesses. What would happen if all of us who are bosses imitated the servant savior during this season? I mean, have you ever worked for a humble boss? It's awesome, isn't it? Have you ever worked for an arrogant boss, a demanding boss? That's terrible. You know, I was talking to one of the bosses here at Cornerstone, and he's just doing everything he can to just keep paying his team, even though they have hardly any work to do. Uh, he's taking out one of these loans, knowing that he may end up repaying it, but he loves his people so much that the thought of them not having an income was just more than he could stand. I know the sacrifices this one guy and his company is making for their employees. And you know what? He's representing Christ as he pastors his people in that company. What if we all ask Christ today to let, the, let his mindset permeate us to the point that whatever influence we have, whatever power we hold, whatever resources we control, whatever creativity we've been given, we channel all of that towards others. I think that this would lift us up and out of any depression or anxiety we're feeling. You know what I feel the worst? When I'm focused on myself. You know what I feel the best? When I'm serving others. So let's do that. Let's imitate Christ. Let's imitate Paul who writes in verse 8, Jesus who being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. You know, it's crazy because his enemies thought that they were humbling him. But he had already humbled himself. And he's such a great example to us. He humbled himself so he could serve us. He even said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, so many times growing up in church, I've seen people miss it when they set out to start their Christian life. They give their heart to Jesus and they just stop doing things. Like they stop smoking or they stop drinking too much or they stop sleeping with people. I mean, whatever they decide is, that's not Christian behavior. But you know what? The Christian life is not a life where you stop doing things. It's where you start doing things. Um, one of the things that Christ did is that he came and immediately he started serving. The Christian life is what serving is what defines you as a follower of Christ. Humbling yourself and serving others identifies you to yourself as a Christian because you can see how much you've changed. All right, let's get to verse 9. Verse 9 says, Because of all that Christ did when he humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name. Oh, that's just, what a way to end a song. And I picture God the Father seeing what Jesus was doing and being so proud of him. I picture the Father just being so pleased in his son 
at his baptism, but also at the cross uh, as Christ sacrificed himself to save us. The sinless son of God who deserved to be at the top of the food chain, the one elevated above anyone, gave all that up to die for us and then to defeat death. So now he's ultimately elevated by the Father and given the name that is above every name. And you know, the focus is on Christ, but once again, that applies to us because uh, when we humble ourselves and we trust the Lord with the outcome, in the end, he lifts us up as well to a place higher than we would have ever been able to achieve uh, by worldly standards. Verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's 15,000 of us. Let's say it right now so the heavens can hear it. Let's confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say that now. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. Ah, doesn't that feel great? Today we celebrate him, what he did at the cross and what he did at the tomb. The death of Christ was on our behalf, and so was Christ's defeat of death. So celebrate Easter all day long and all week long. Celebrate Christ who went to a cross and then came out of a tomb. And trust that God with the outcome of today's circumstances. Let this season, as you shelter at home, prepare you for later when you will be out there again. Don't waste this time just waiting for it to all be over. You have soul work to do. Maybe like Mary Magdalene, you've struggled to see the good in what's happening lately. Tell that to the Lord and see if he doesn't begin to reveal to you the bigger picture that a plan is already in play, a cosmic plan that involves you. Start thinking now how life has changed already and how it's not going back to what it was. It's going to be better And it's going to be more of Jesus and less of us. For now, serve the precious people you are sheltered with and serve someone outside your home. And when we are finally released from this grave we are in, let it be said that we were transformed, that something was buried that stayed buried, and something new came to life because of Christ. And before I close, I just want to say something to those of you who, uh, when I talked about a locked heart earlier, you related to that. And I want to give you that opportunity now to unlock that door and commit to Christ. You know, you can commit yourself to Christ right now. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. As you receive his forgiveness for your sin, Forgive him for not being the God that you wanted him to be because he is the God who is. We don't create him. We don't control him. But when we serve him, he unlocks us to be truly human. And that's my prayer for you as well. And this is my blessing for you. Hold your hands out and receive it now. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn his face toward you. May he keep you safe. May he take away your fear. 
May he show you how he has already provided and will continue. Trust him now and do not depend on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in everything you do and he's going to direct your path. And you know where that path takes you on Easter Sunday morning? To a tomb that's empty. <laughs>